If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51, we are in our second uh, sermon uh, on this sermon series called Prayer or Prayer uh, as we look at this. And it's this idea of unlocking God's power in our lives. And I want to encourage you with this thing. I believe wholeheartedly that prayer is the very thing that is going to drive the church forward outside the four walls that's going to drive the church forward in obedience to God's great commission and God's great commandment. And it's the very thing that is going to strengthen us. It's going to uphold us. It's going to help us get through the difficult times and situations to be able to speak with power. And so when we talk about this, a lot of people claim, a lot of people, a lot of believers say, I want the power of God in my life. But we reflect the fact that we don't want the power of God by a very simple inaction. And it's usually a prayerless life. And so what I want to challenge you with is this, that in order to experience God's power in your life, you have to be a person who is going to be a person of prayer. If I want to unlock God's power in my life, then I got to be a person who is going to be a person of prayer. Now, I don't know how that looks for you. I don't know what that means and where you're at. I do know this, that the truth of the matter is, and my, the reason I bring this up is because last week I, I asked this question, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that I would say, that many of us would say, that I absolutely believe in the power of prayer, and yet I oftentimes don't pray the way I should, or as much as I should. I even asked you last week if you were here in person to raise your hand if you said, I believe in the power of prayer, but how many of you would say, I don't pray as much as I should? And almost everybody raised their hand. So I would venture to say that this is an area that all of us can grow in. And so today, while it is the second sermon in our prayer series, I believe it's the day that we begin to see or begin to pray about and begin to ask God to transform not only our own lives, but to transform our church and our city. So as you came in, I hope you received this 21 days of prayer. Here's what we're asking you to do over the next 21 days, starting tomorrow. This is set up perfectly. Starting tomorrow. So this gives you, what, 17 hours, right, <laughs> to, to prepare for this. Starting tomorrow, we're asking you to very specifically pray through this guide and through this document. On the front, there's prayer, or sorry, on the back side, there are prayer tips. There are some very specific questions to ask yourself while praying. And then there are some fasting tips or fasting and what it's defined as and some fasting tips, all right? Because if you'll notice on here, we have in the dark blue, what to pray for. And in the gray or in the light blue, sorry, what to fast from. Now, for those of you who will notice, I tried to be a little bit realistic, and I, I really wanted to, but at the same time, I knew NFL playoffs were coming up. Um, so we didn't ask you to fast from TV on Sundays, <laughs> right? And all Broncos fans went, but we're fasting anyways. What are you talking about? <laughs> all right? But listen, here's one of the things I want to encourage you with is that you take this very seriously. I believe as a church that we need to take this very seriously. Last week, we talked about how in the Bible, where Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer. He doesn't say my house will be called a house of discipleship, even though discipleship takes place. He doesn't say my house will be called a house of evangelism, even though evangelism is to take place. He doesn't say my house will be a house of worship, even though worship is a natural act that should be taking place. He says my house should be called a house of prayer. 
And I believe it's one of those things that oftentimes we say we want the power of God in our lives, but we don't seek it out. So we don't pray, we don't long for and ask for God's power, and therefore we do most of the things in our own power. And that's the struggle. That's the reality where most Christians tend to operate. We want to do things in our own power. And listen, if most Christians operate in that realm, then that would mean that most churches operate in what? Their own power. Which in reality should show us that we have no power at all whatsoever. So, Psalm chapter 51 is where are gonna be, is gonna be our main text today. I'll use more of the time to explain our prayer and fasting thing, but I said this last week that prayer is the means by which God is going to implement and extend his power here on earth. That God is going to implement his power through our prayer lives and he's going to extend his power through our prayer lives here on earth. That's the means by which God is going to do it. There is no other way. God says, I'm going to pour out my power through you in your praying and as you seek me. And so I told you last week that this was my prayer, and I would hope it would be your prayer, but that this was going to be my prayer, that he would strengthen each one of us with power through his spirit in our inner being, in our inner self, in our hearts, that he would strengthen us through that, that we would experience God's power together. And I'm telling you, I'm going to be praying this every day of every week for 2021, that we as a church, that we as a body of believers would experience God's power together and that God would do, listen, more than we could ask or imagine. If you remember anything, we, we looked at that idea that God would do more than we could ask or imagine in everything that we face. And I believe wholeheartedly that that's exactly what God wants to do, more than we could ask or imagine. So I asked you to imagine what would that look like for God to work in our church, in my life, in the, the relationships that I have around me. I wanted you to imagine what it would mean or what it would look like if God's power worked in you and through you, in your marriages, in your relationships with other lost people, in your relationships with coworkers, in, in the, the, the interactions with people, regardless of what you've dealt with in the past, in your interactions, how would God work in a great way? As a matter of fact, as you jump to Psalm chapter 51, starting in verse one, listen to what he says. This is David penning this, and this is after David has been caught in sin, and this is what David Praise. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You ever notice that? <laughs> like the, the, the reality is we know our sins, right? Like I can hide it from other people. I can hide it uh, growing up, very good at hiding it from my parents. I can hide it from friends. I can hide it from people in the church. But the reality is your sins are always before who? Well, before God, but I know them, right? They're before me. My transgressions are always before me. And my sin is always before me. Verse four, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Listen to verse five. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from my time or from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. Remember last week we talked about this? 
Truth in the inner parts, you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Listen, in, in the book of Acts, we see a mighty movement of God in the lives of his disciples, in the life of his church, in the lives of other believers and followers to the point that many in the church today, and I hear it consistently, whether it's from pastors or people who have been in the church, many in the church today cry out for, long for, and say, oh, if we could only get back to the way it was in Acts. And yet our actions oftentimes speak volumes against the statement that we may say in if we could only get back to the book of Acts. Because our actions are very simple. Most of the time when I've talked and dealt with and, and tried to walk through this, that the church is bombarded by all of the outside worldly things rather than being changed by the inside or changed on the inside, what he's just talking about in Psalm 51, by God and being changed and challenged by the power of the Spirit. See, the reason the book of Acts was unleashed or the reason we can read the book of Acts is because it was God's power working in his people who sought God in prayer. God's power working in the midst of his people who sought God in prayer. And as they sought him in prayer, they walked in obedience. Those are things that we have to begin to understand. And so as we jump into Psalm 51 and we think about this and, 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 and understand what David is trying to unpack, for us to be people that God restores, that God brings us to the point that he wants us at, God restores us. And so I want you to understand that when we talk about this idea of praying, that we have to be able to seek God in prayer. Why? Because God is going to restore us through prayer. See, Psalm 51 is just very simply David's prayer to God after David realizes, oh, crud. I have just screwed up in a great way. David had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. David kills Bathsheba's husband by ordering him to the front lines. David is confronted and told, hey, David, guess what? You're, you're the problem. And David falls to his knees in prayer. And so listen, we talk about this idea and what the difference is. In Acts chapter two, verse 42, we know this verse is a very popular verse in the book of Acts. It says they devoted themselves. This idea that the disciples devoted themselves, the, the early followers of, of the way of Jesus devoted themselves. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. In other words, connecting together, relating together to breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, I want to ask you, and I want you to think about this. When we talk about devotion, what are you devoted to? You know, the term devotion literally means this, love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for an activity, a cause, or a person. Now, if we were to ask this question and say, are you devoted? Are you a devoted fan? Most of us say, heck yeah, I'm a devoted fan. And it might be whatever team you're... Therefore, most of us obviously in this room are Chiefs fans, devoted, diehard, committed, except for when they're terrible. And then everybody's like, oh, I think I need to find a new team. I remember that my first couple years here. I just need to find a new team. They just constantly let me down. I'm like, oh, come on, you Cubs fans. 
Devotion is one of those things we have to ask ourselves. But listen to what Acts 2 verse 42 says again. They devoted themselves. Devotion is this idea of a love and a loyalty and an enthusiasm. Listen, for an activity. So they were devoted to digging into the word, to digging into the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to meet together. They were devoted in breaking bread together. That's not just the Lord's Supper, but it's the idea of having each other over, serving each other, loving on each other. And then listen, as a result, and here's one of the things I would challenge us most often. And I think it's something that we, you know, I've been convicted of even recently is that when, when you have people over that it's okay to pray together, especially other believers, that you encourage each other through prayer. So yes, be devoted to teaching. Yes, be devoted to hanging out and fellowshipping together. Yes, be devoted to breaking bread and eating together. But yes, be devoted to prayer. Why? Because my house will be called a house of prayer. Matter of fact, James chapter five, verse 16 says this, that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. If I want my prayer life to be powerful and effective, then I have to be what? Righteous. I have to be holy. I have to be set apart. I have to make sure that there is no sin found in me so that my prayers don't go unheard, but rather my prayers fall in ears that are listening to me. Because listen to me, this is one of the things I think we wholeheartedly have to understand. If you think God listens to you when you are unrighteous and unholy and seeking selfishness and selfish desires and full of sin, he's not going to listen to it. It's not how it works. So when we get to this Psalm 51 passage and David is laying this out, there's a reason why David starts with the confession idea where David jumps in and says, have mercy on me, O God. According to what? Your goodness, your kindness, your unfailing love. Why? Because David knew he was full of sin. David knew he was caught in his sins. David knew he was struggling. And so here's the big picture. If you know anything or remember anything else, I want you to remember this, that we need God to restore us, to restore us. We need God to restore us since our prayers, listen, are only as effective as our hearts are clean and our devotion is pure. We need God to restore us since our prayers are only as effective as our hearts are clean and our devotion is pure. So is that your prayer? God, would you use me? Would you show me? Would you cleanse me? Will you show any unrighteous ways in me that need to be confessed? Our, or We need God to restore us since our prayers are only as effective as our hearts are clean and our devotion is pure. So here's, I wanna give us three things that we're gonna look at today and I, three things I believe that God restores in us in order for us to be effective in praying. Number one, God restores the desire for truth in our hearts. Listen again what David said, all right? 
He says, have mercy on me, O God. He says, wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. But verse three, for I know my transgressions against you and you only have I sinned so that you are proved right. And then listen to what he says in verse five. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Listen, God restores the desire for truth in our hearts. And David has a clash with truth right there. Why? Because David has to acknowledge that his sin is what is holding holding him back from being obedient to God. His sin is what's holding back the effectiveness of God working in his life. And so listen, as as each one of us walk through this, as we begin to understand, if you look at verse six, he says, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. If you remember anything, and I I said this last week, this idea of what I'm praying for, I want you to understand that when we talk about this, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. All throughout the last nine months, we have seen over and over and over again the chaos of what happens when we are emotionally immature as a result of being spiritually immature. And you can't be spiritually immature if you're emotionally immature. You cannot be a mature believer spiritually if you are emotionally immature. And the reason why I bring this up, this idea of God restoring the desire for truth in our hearts, in the innermost parts, is because that's exactly what's to reveal. You desire the truth in the innermost parts. There are lies that too many people have bought into that aren't biblical, that aren't scriptural, Matter of fact, they're worldly lies, these ideas of what takes place when the truth of the matter is that God wants to teach you, God wants to train you inside. He wants to restore the desire for truth in the innermost parts, in our hearts. And so one of the things that we have set up, a matter of fact, if you were to pull out your phone, how many of you guys got version? Anybody got version on your phone? Go to your version app. I'm gonna encourage you to do this right now. Go to version. open it up, Put in your friends list and look for the church at Three Trails. As you look for the church at Three Trails, we have a reading plan called F260 that we're encouraging everybody in our church to take part in. If you've got a pre, you're already doing a reading plan and you're like, hey, I don't wanna change, I understand, completely fine. But F260 on the church at Three Trails. If you need help with this app, if you need help at all, any way, shape, or form, come see us at the end of service. Download version if you don't have it. Go in there, search for your friends, look for the church at Three Trails, and we've got a reading plan set up. And we'll invite you. You can, you can friend the church at Three Trails on there. We'll invite you to be a part of the reading plan. But I believe wholeheartedly that God wants to restore the desire for truth in our innermost parts. And in order to do that, I have to be growing in the word day in and day out. If I want my prayer life to be powerful, then I have to be in the word, if I wanna grow and be effective with what's going on, then I have to be in the word. God restores that. See, we are asking God, listen, to cleanse us of any sin and to have a look deep down inside of us. But we also let, we have to let God use the Bible as the microscope that gets down to the nitty gritty, that gets into the areas that we are trying to hide. And we need to let him grow us. Adrian Rogers says this, the prayer offered to God in the morning during your quiet time is the key that unlocks the door of the day and any athlete knows that it's the start that ensures a good finish. 
And so one of the ways I want to challenge you with is this, that every day you're seeking God in the word and every day you're seeking God in prayer. 21 days is the typical time that is needed to develop a habit in your life. Something that you're going to do every day, like clockwork, without fail. If that means that you got to get up 15 minutes earlier, then get up 15 minutes earlier. If that means that you're taking the the time at lunch, that you're going to walk away, you're going to go and read and pray and fast at that time, then do that. If it means it's the evening when your kids are going to bed and you finally have some quiet time, then then you do that. But I want to encourage you to take part in this, that you're reading the Bible daily and that you're praying. And if you'll notice that each week here on this guide is focused on these three things that we're working towards in our finances as well. So we have this idea of restore. The first week, we're focusing on restoring us. God, would you restore me? Why? Because God wants to restore us, that he can work through our prayers. And so when you look at this idea of restore, the first day is, God, would you restore to me a heart of surrender? Would you allow me to be a person who's constantly surrendered to you? A heart of surrender. Then he talks about humility. In Philippians chapter two, verse six, it tells us what it means to be humble, what it means to be focused on this. Or in, sorry, chapter two, verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. God, would you restore to me an attitude of humility? God, would you give me a passion to serve others? As you dig in and understand, God, will you give me peace? As we enter this new year, I believe wholeheartedly, look, 2020, when we started talking about peace for some people in 2020, that was just, for some, they just were like, that's not possible. It is possible. It's possible about who you're seeking your peace through. God, would you give me a hunger for your word? Look at Friday, a hunger for the word. And seek that out and pray for that. God, would you give me purity? Would you restore to me purity and holiness in my life? Would I be set apart to be used in a great way for you and by you? And then listen, next Sunday, God, would you give me this, restore to me that I would be spirit-filled and spirit-led? You know, last week we talked about this and I said that 90%, the old quote from A.W. Tozer, that 90% of what the church would do if the Holy Spirit left would still do it. That's a problem. If the church continues doing 90% of what they've always done when the Holy Spirit left, then we're missing out on the big picture. Why? Because the point of everything we do is to be spirit-filled and spirit-led. So this idea of restoration is huge. Number two, I want you to understand, when we talk about God restoring the desire for truth in our hearts, number two, that God restores the joy of our salvation. Look at Psalm chapter 51, starting in verse 10. Listen to what he says. And in reality, it kind of carries over with what we did. Verse 10, create in me a pure, what? Heart. God, create in me a pure heart. So this idea of restoration we're talking about, God, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What's this idea of steadfast? Anchored, held strong, ready to roll, a steadfast spirit within me, God. Do not cast me from your presence 
or take your Holy Spirit from me. That's where we're jumping into the Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. And then listen to what he says in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. Listen, here's one of the hardest things, the most difficult things, but yet at the same time, one of the simplest things that we have to understand. God wants to create in you a pure heart. He wants to renew a steadfast spirit within me. He wants to make sure that we all understand that we are in his presence, that we're not gonna be cast out from his presence, that we can understand and take and be led by his Holy Spirit. And as a result of all of those things, that he restores to us the joy of our salvation. Please hear me out when I say this. One of the struggles that I believe that most believers deal with is this, that this idea of restoration or restoring the joy of our salvation is something we oftentimes forget. Do you remember when you were a new believer, how excited you were? It's like, I gotta go tell somebody. You're telling your neighbors, you're telling grandparents, you're telling anybody and everybody you could. And then somehow, in some way, shape, or form, in the busyness of everything that's gone on, we kind of go, huh? Yeah, I'm saved. This is what David's saying. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do you want to know why I believe most people won't share their faith? Because there's no joy anymore. They're like, oh, I got to do all these things. No. Remember the joy of your salvation. Remember how excited you were when Jesus changed your life. Remember what he did and how he brought something that was dead to life. How he took something that was old and made it new. How he offers you life and life more abundantly. Remember that. And here's the truth of the matter. For a believer, when we understand and we're restored with the joy of our salvation, then it makes evangelism and discipleship easy. Why? Because it's just a simple overflow of the heart. God restores the joy of our salvation. And hear me out when I say this. That's as a result of the Spirit working in my life. That's as a result of God working in the innermost being and desiring for the truth in my life. When I desire for the truth and I seek the truth and he's working in my inmost being and I'm led by the Spirit, then he restores the joy of my salvation. Why? Because I've made it simple. I asked earlier, I said, hey, tell me some of your goals for today. And I was told, I'm just trying to slow things down. Can I tell you what that in reality is, should be the goal? That you slow down. Quit running around like a chicken with your head cut off. And you give God the opportunity to work. To work in your life to slow down and give God some room to grow you, to give God some time to, to mold you and make you into what he wants you to be, to give God time to, be, to let him lead you, to be spirit-led and spirit-filled. That's how we restore the joy of our salvation because it's only through God doing it, not through ourselves, not through anything that we can do. As a matter of fact, E.M. Bounds says this, that when we pray and we seek this in all of these things, that prayer makes a godly man and puts within him the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service, of pity, and of prayer. If we really pray, we become more like God or else we will quit praying. When we really pray, we will become more like God or else we will quit praying. So listen, 
God, I believe, wholeheartedly restores the joy of our salvation, but it's only through him. And then number three, if we have this idea that we need God to restore us since our prayers are only as effective as our hearts are clean and our devotion is pure, listen to what happens with number three, that God restores our heart for others. Listen to verse 13. And David says this, after he's already admitted his sin, now he's talking to God, asking for repentance, creating me a pure heart. Verse 13, he says, as a result of everything that you've done in my life, God, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Hear the beauty of that? Effectiveness is only a result of our righteousness in God and him restoring the joy of our salvation. If we wanna be a praying church, an effective church, then we have to begin to understand that God restores our heart for others. You know, over the last nine months, whether it's political struggles, whether it's disagreements on what's going on in society and everything else, I have seen more ugliness and hatred, and I believe we've all seen more ugliness and hatred than at any other point in time that I've been alive. And I've even had people say, you know what, I could care less if that person ever became a believer. And I went, Wah. there's a heart issue. If we want to see our city changed, if we want to see our community change for the good, if we want to see life in other people, if we want people to experience the good news of the gospel, if we want to see a growing church and not a floundering church, if we want to be a church that moves on in obedience to what God has called, if we want to be the Acts church, then we have to begin to understand that God has to restore our heart for others. Do you have a heart and a broken heart for those who are lost and dying and going to hell? Do you have a broken heart for your neighbors who don't know the good news of the gospel? Do you have a broken heart for the coworkers? Do you understand the circumstance, the situation you're in? Do you look at them and go, That's, I understand why they act the way they act because it says that, 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 that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Do you have a compassion for that or do you just say, I don't care? Because if you don't care, then reality is what we're doing here on Sunday is it doesn't really matter. Because the point of the gospel, the point of the good news of Jesus Christ, the very point of the church is not just to worship Jesus for who he is, but it's to make Jesus known to everybody else. So God restores our heart for others. The desire to see other people come to Jesus. See, when we have the joy of our salvation restored, we will then want to show and teach others God's way. Rick Warren says it this way, God is looking for people to use. And if you can get usable, he will wear you out. The most dangerous prayer you can pray is this, God use me. Get that picture that God is looking for people to use. And if you are in a position that you can be usable, he will wear you out. Church, I believe wholeheartedly that most of us are wore out because of other reasons, other circumstances, other difficulties, other priorities. We're exhausted from other things. 
2020 may be over, but our hope, listen, is not in the new year or in a new resolution or in new, new resolution or in new goals, but our hope is in the one who makes all things new. He wants to make you new. He wants to make our church new. He wants to make our community new. He wants people to come to faith in Jesus who can be old or who were old that are new. All of those things are as a result of or a heart for others. So, this year may seem like a plague. <laughs> it may have seemed like a famine, but God can, God will. He's in the business of restoring things. And he wants to restore us. He wants to develop us. He wants to grow us. As a matter of fact, I was encouraged this week. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Joel. Joel chapter two. In Joel chapter two, there's this plague that has gone on as a result of this plague or this famine. Sorry, let me clarify. There was a famine that's gone on and, and it's a result of, of locusts. This plague of locusts had come in and for four years there was no harvest in the lives of the Israelites. No harvest. And in verse 25 and 26 of Joel chapter two, the Lord says this, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. And he says in verse 26, you have plenty to eat until you are full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you and never again will my, be people, will my people be shamed. Here's what I know and this is the promise that I believe God gives. That this year may seem like a year of locusts, right? It's been or felt like at times a fruitless year. It's been one of those things that we look back and go, God, where's the harvest? What in the world is going on? Churches have been struck. Some churches are floundering and struggling. And I listen, I'm not gonna deny it and say, we're not right there. When people begin to let fear overtake and not respond in, in what I will call at times, we can be safe, we can be effective, but yet still at times maintain a priority to worship God in a way that we're supposed to. But I want you to understand this, that I believe very consistently that what God's word teaches us is this, that even in the midst of the difficulties, God is going to repay us for everything that has gone on, for all of the things that the locusts have eaten. God promised the people of Israel that he would repay him. And listen, he says, you will have plenty to eat until you are full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God. This year may have seemed like a plague or a famine, but God can and will restore. The question is, do you want him to use you? Do we want him to use us? And I believe wholeheartedly it starts with this. 21 days of prayer and fasting that I'm asking you to commit to. 21 days of prayer and fasting that you're gonna fast from the very things that we're asking you to fast from. So tomorrow, Monday, no TV. For some of you, that's not a problem. For others of you, that's a nightmare, <laughs> right? That's like your worst dream. But here's what we're asking you to do. If you flip over to the back of the card, we want you to pray during those times. Pray for a heart of surrender. Pray for our church that we would have a heart of surrender. Pray for yourself and your family, for your husband and your wife. Pray for your leaders within the church that we would have hearts of surrender. 
that we would surrender first and foremost to Jesus Christ in everything that goes on. Will you be people of prayer? Will you pray with me? Will you pray and fast in a way that seeks God and God only? We're not asking you to fast to lose a bunch of weight. Say, hey, that's my New Year's resolution. I'm gonna lose weight. Now we're asking. At times, you're gonna be asked to give up food. And if you look on the back, we try and give you some fasting tips. If you're a person who says, you're asking me to give up food, I struggle at times with food. I get the shakes. I get really lightheaded and dizzy. There's ways to work about it. You could do a sunrise or, or sorry, sundown to sundown fast where you can say, hey, I'm gonna eat a meal like four o'clock and then I'm gonna break it the next night at six. You've done 24 hours, that's fine. One of the things my wife and I always did is when we fasted from food, we drink milk. That helps me at least. I don't get the shakes as bad. Make sure you're drinking plenty of water when you fast from food. Stay on top of things like that. Fast for 24 hours. If we're dealing with food fasting, we're asking you to fast from dinner to, so you do dinner, breakfast, lunch, break it with dinner. I found that works better for me. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then breaking with breakfast is no good because breakfast sometimes is like cereal, toast, doesn't do me any good. I want to break my fast with something that's going to sustain me. Plan what you're going to do. You're only going to get out of this what you put into it. Our church is only going to get out of this what we put into it. When we pray, when we seek his face, when we have a heart and a desire and a longing and a yearning for God, then that sets us up and puts us in the position for us to be spirit-filled and spirit-led and allow him to do great works in and through this. And let me close with this. You receive this right here. Some have already committed to this. This right here is a two-year commitment we're asking our members to make that we would give above and beyond the tithe. Now, I'll let you know that starting this week, they're gonna start working back here. So as you come in over the next couple months, please forgive our mess, but we're making progress. Our bathrooms are gonna be updated. Our foyer is gonna be opened up. We wanna use our building to the best of our ability. And we believe that some of that starts here. But we're asking you also to pray about this. In two weeks, not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, we're gonna ask you to commit. Now, if you notice on the card, we're asking you to commit to give. You can commit to give a one-time gift. You can commit to give weekly or monthly. It may be, and please hear me out when I say this, it may be $10 a week. You'd say, I'm gonna sacrifice my Starbucks or I'm gonna sacrifice my trips to Quick Trip or I'm gonna give up something. Maybe it's $10 a week for you. Maybe it's $100 a month for your family. Maybe it's a one-time gift. But we're asking you to pray about this because in two weeks, we're gonna ask you to bring this back. It could be a one-time gift. It could be a one-time gift and a commitment to give monthly. Above and beyond your tithe. We're not asking, please hear me out. So we did this a couple years ago and the church all said, Hey, we'll give to this. We're not going to give to general budget. No. The building is never to be a priority. And part of this, what were the things we talked about, 70% is going to go to pay for our bathroom upgrades and to get rid of our debt. We want to be debt-free within two years. That pays for all the roofs and everything else. 30% then goes to missions. Our use for missions overseas as well as 
locally and globally, or locally and, and nationally. We're planning on making a trip to Montana this summer to be a part of working with some churches up there in the Billings area. So that's gonna be part of it. But there are some things that we wanna present and, and offer, and we wanna give uh, opportunities for us to be on mission overseas as well. So take this home, begin to pray about it. This is part of the prayer thing. Maybe it's a one-time gift. Maybe it's a one-time gift and a weekly gift. Maybe it's just say, hey, we, you know what? We're strapped. 2020's been hard. Hey, that's great. I understand. We know it. Please hear me out. This is not a guilt trip. We want you to pray specifically about this. Lord, what would you have me to give? Because we believe this is an opportunity for us to begin to make strides forward that our building can be used in a great way regardless of what's happening. And listen, here's the beauty of this. Do you guys realize right now we have three churches meeting on Sundays? Three. Our church, our Hispanic church, Restoration Life, which is a predominantly African-American church. It's not limited to that. I want to be very clear. Anthony, great pastor. Uh, appreciate him greatly. They're meeting on Sunday afternoons at 3.30. They didn't have a building to meet in. And we have a building that I believe should be used as much as possible. And this is a great opportunity for us to propel the gospel further. And so would you join me in praying for this, specifically in this? And while you do, I just ask that you pray for this. There's a point in time next week, you'll notice financial freedom that I want you to specifically pray about this, but I want you to take both of these home, stick this in your Bible, take it with you wherever you go. Take a picture, put it on your phone. So maybe you're at work, you can say, I'm gonna do this. Log into version. download the reading app. I know there's a lot to go forward with, but I believe wholeheartedly this is the simple things that we have to do to begin to allow God to work in us and through us. Let's pray. Father, we know that it's only through the power that you have, it's only through your power and your ability and your work that we're going to be able to change the course of history, the course of our city, the course of our nation, the course of the nations and around the world. God, we pray and we know that it works first and foremost in our lives. And so God, as we spend this week praying about ourselves, praying about our heart of surrender and humility, peace, that we would have a hunger for the word, that we'd be spirit-filled and spirit-led. God, let us look deep within and would you restore to us the joy of your salvation, because we know that without your salvation, life is difficult. Life is a struggle. Lord, we pray that you would use this next 21 days to develop a habit of seeking you in prayer and fasting in the word so that you would have your way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.